Today's podcast, an open on two playoff games from last night. We have Gary Payton, the Hall of Famer, on his son playing for the Warriors and getting through that. Some Sonic stories, some Jordan stories, and we're going to have fun with uh, a time he and I almost crashed in a plane. Diana Rossini recaps the entire draft and the QB market as we still have some landing spots for some names and life advice. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos and more so download the app today and bet with FanDuel official partner of the NBA the ringer is committed to responsible gaming so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details must be 21 and older 18 plus in DC and present in select states gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com this episode is brought to you by Arby's $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. I'm going to start today with recapping the two games that we had last night. And Bill and I did a bunch on, on game one. But as we kind of keep going with the importance and the level of these games, I'm not going to get staggered out where it's like I'm only breaking down the two series depending on the release of the podcast. So don't worry about that. We have you covered. Let's start with Phoenix and Dallas the last game because I made a joke after the game was over going, there's going to be people waking up today that go, oh, that's pretty close. Dallas is competitive in this series. I have a rule about series. I think sweeps are hard. I think betting on a sweep is stupid because I think human nature, and even more so now with today's NBA for the last couple of years, is that guys can kind of shut it down uh, with their motivation emotionally. I, I believe in these things where when you know you're superior, you don't try as hard. And I think that's happening more in today's NBA than ever before. So it's always funny to me how like if a series is five games, you're like, oh, they smoked him. And then it's six. It's like, great series, really competitive. It's like, well, the game's going to be close. And because it's six instead of five, it was a great series. But you get the point. Like, I just don't, even when a team I think is overwhelmingly better than the opponent, I go, yeah, the other team's probably going to get one. They'll come home. Because when you're up 2-0 and you guys, these guys have no chance, you just don't really try as hard. And on top of that, when you think you have a chance, uh, you can never match the desperation of the team that is truly desperate. So these are all kind of like principles that I have on playoff series. Having said that, I think Dallas is close in this series. I just don't. Does it mean it's going to be a sweep? No, because of everything I just said before. This is high usage versus team. Uh, Doncic was the second highest usage player in the NBA this season. And when the playoffs crank, it's another level. He's at like 38% usage. When you start getting to 40, that's like Westbrook and Kobe in their single years, which are the all-timers in NBA history. And is as impressive uh, as Luka is, and it is that impressive, that he can handle the ball. Um, everybody knows what's happening. He's looking for Chris Paul when he's in there, trying to get switches there. Sometimes they don't even need the switch. But I'm telling you, pay attention to the difference of how Aiton can hold up against a perimeter player, against some of the other bigs. Uh, and this is one of the great things about Aiton, because like, he gives you a chance. 
And uh, that's why I, I really think this is an unpopular thing. But the more I look at like a Rudy versus uh, an Aiton, and I'm not even talking about the offensive part of it, I actually think Aiton maybe holds up better in some of these perimeter matchups than, than Rudy does. All right, we can move on from criticizing Rudy Gobert. Uh, although I did see a report the other day on Twitter, I think it was from a media member. I'm not trying to dump on it, but it was like there's going to be a demand, him or me, that Gobert needs to be traded in a couple of days. Usually that trade doesn't happen at this part of the NBA season. Uh, I'm just going to share that with some people out there. All right. So back to this series. So Luca finishes 45, 12, and eight. He's 15 to 30 from the floor, but they were actually containing him relatively well, despite the fact that he had shot. Uh, shot it, you know, by the end of the game, you're like that high usage, 15 to 30. That's really good. But he was 12 of 27. He got three buckets late towards the end of the game, which we are going to get to. But at that point, he had 38 points. So Luca's hunting for Chris Paul. On the other end, it looked like Phoenix was hunting for Luca. But the difference in all of this was as I'm watching the game, I'm going, Phoenix is so much better than them tonight. But this was the argument for maybe actually an argument against three pointers in the value, the absurd value they have in, in relationship to the rest of the ways you can score. The three pointer is worth way too much. It just is because Dallas stayed in the game. Kleber, who was 50% from the floor, spacing out Utah, making Rudy chase them out there. I mentioned it again. Uh, 50%, I think, and you're going, all right, is that going to hold up? And at one point, it's like, it might be even better. He was five of six to start the game. Every time it felt like Dallas was about to get blown out, they found a way to survive with three-pointers enough. I thought it was a very good argument for, is the three-pointer actually stupid? Because I felt like the separation between the two teams was so obvious in watching it. But hey, we have this, we have this other thing that we can do. We're just going to keep shooting threes the entire time. And again, this is not breaking news. This is what the game is. But I couldn't help but have those moments in watching that game going, this is where the three-pointer argument, like, I almost don't like it because this, this is not a true definition of which team is better than the other one because they're surviving. Uh, and then they stopped hitting them for a long stretch, and they got down 106 to 85. The biggest problem for Dallas in this is that Luka's going to have to do it all, and I know Brunson didn't shoot it well. I know Dinwiddie was bad again. Um, and there's going to be a night where there's more balance and Dallas could get one of these games. But Phoenix, on their side offensively, it felt like they always had a good look. It's like, okay, we gave up another three here. It's just, it's an eight. It's a 10-point game. We should be up more. But I guess we'll just do this with Booker. And then we're going to do this with Aiton. And then Bridges can do this. And then Cam Johnson's going to hit threes. Campaign hit a couple. He had a nice runner in the beginning of the game. Jay Crowder's somebody you still have to be honest with and close out on. There's just so many options in a team concept versus this this absurdity of Luca's dominance where he's dominating a game and it feels helpless at times but at the same end Dallas defensively just wasn't even close I'm going to end it with this uh, I am consistently frustrated with ex-players on broadcasts and I don't mean to be harsh about it because if I were talking for two and a half hours hell there's times where I'll do something on a podcast and I'll think back to what I said and be like ah, I didn't do the greatest job making that point and now I could poke 10 holes into the point that I was trying to make but I don't understand why the guys that played the game, uh, and in this case, Reggie Miller, a Hall of Famer, starts talking about the late Dallas run as if that was real, because it wasn't. Phoenix is up 20, and they're like, all right, th this game's over. There was an absolute dead period in this game of about six or seven minutes where the, the building was lifeless, Phoenix was lifeless. It's actually a positive for Phoenix because they played so poorly towards the end 
that they let Dallas kind of flirt with. Again, it wasn't really going to happen. I think they got it to seven under a minute to go or whatever. I mean, they outscored Phoenix 29-15 to close this game. But that, to me, was all fake. Yes, you can be harsh and say, well, this is what the score was. This is what the spread was. And, and this is re-. It isn't. And Miller was talking about, like, hey, here's a positive. And I get that he's also trying to tell the story. The game has been. But I don't understand how you, you watch that game and not realize, like, no, Phoenix doesn't care anymore. They don't care anymore. And it's actually a good way for Monty Williams to go see what you guys did at the end of the game and motivate them. It's a better place to be in for Phoenix than just running them out of the building at 20, up 25 and, and turning into a 30-point win or something like that. So uh, that's how I feel about this series. I don't think Dallas is any match for them. doesn't mean they're going to get swept. The more interesting one, at least how it played out with the criticism after, is Miami beating the Sixers. Let's talk Miami. Lowry's out. Uh, he, he apparently wanted to play in last night's game. He didn't. We'll see how that goes. Butler came off the game five, missed against Atlanta. I think that's just Miami going, we don't even need you against Atlanta. And if we go to game six, it doesn't matter. We're not losing this series. Okay, fine. Uh, we know Miami is a lot of things. They are great defensively. They are, uh, I think their best player is Bam. And Bam is going to go off in this series because of the center matchups that we're going to spend some time on here. Uh, Miami has this development track record where, they find ways to plug guys into their system. And for a couple nights, you know, I'm not saying you'd want Gabe Vincent as your starting two guard all season long. I'm not saying you'd want um, Max Struess, you know, major, major minutes all the time. You don't, you know, the point, but like they find ways when you are called upon in the Miami Heat system, it seems like so many of these role players respond. The track record is incredible. And this year was a great example of that. But the biggest part of this is with Embiid being out for how long we don't know. The DeAndre Jordan minutes. Jordan in 16 games with the Sixers has been a massive negative on the box score. Um, they're getting outscored by about 14 points per 100 possessions. The defense at the rim going into the postseason, I think at some point was like he was allowing over 70% field goal. Uh, yeah, like field goal percentage of about 70% plus at the rim. Uh, DeAndre Jordan has not been great at this for a long time. And Doc has a track record of being stubborn with playing as vets, uh, going back to Boston. And, you know, I've, I've had a harder time uh, defending Doc in some of the stuff. I don't think the Boston years were fake. I don't think he deserves zero credit for that. I always thought that there was a Doc Rivers element where he was better than other coaches in dealing with stars. Not that he was an all-time superstar when he played, but he played in a big city in New York after a great run in Atlanta. And I think he understood the relationship part of working with stars uh, better than a lot of coaches, and I thought that Celtics run was a product of that. However, the blown leads on the resumes, I can't argue against him anymore, and I'm wondering if we're looking at stubbornness that relates to him being out uh, with the Clippers just a couple years ago in 2020. So he starts DeAndre Jordan. It's a mess immediately. Bam, like I said, Bam's going to feast in this thing. They bring in Paul Reed, who everybody loves. Uh, I believe we we're incredibly visual as people. We're really visual as sports fans. I think if certain wing players were better looking, we would think they were superstars as opposed to doubting them because they're not attractive. I think body type plays into this. And, and I don't even know if this is like some deep, mean bias, but I think sometimes you could look at a guy like Alex Caruso and it takes you forever to go, wait, he's actually really good at basketball because we are so visual. So when Paul Reed is out there just wreaking havoc everywhere, you think, well, wait, you've got to play Paul Reed more. And maybe the Sixers do. But Paul Reed also had five fouls in 13 minutes. So it's chaos that you can see it. You're like, look how active that guy is. And look how active DeAndre Jordan isn't. Like, this is, this is a no-brainer. 
And they have other options. I don't think Doc loves young players. Uh, I, I think there's a strong track record for that. And that's why some of the other young, uh, you know, unproven guys on the Sixers team, they're just not going to get a shot in the second round of the playoffs. So DeAndre Jordan comes back after being a net negative in the first half. He starts the second half and everybody's losing their mind, which I understand. But you had to know that this was coming. Uh, they also went non-center at some point, And there were some defensive possessions where, again, the Sixers got back into this game. It was close at the half. I think they were up a point at the half. But, you know, there was a couple times where Harden was left as the rim protector on some rotations. There was a drive against Bam. You're like, that's not going to work out. Okay, so what does this tell us? Because after the game, Doc was like, I know you don't like it. It was almost like he was kind of getting pre-defiant for all the DeAndre Jordan second-guessing here. I don't know that he has a ton of options. And when you take a guy like Embiid away, who I mentioned Doncic as the highest usage player in the playoffs, second in the NBA regular season, number one was Embiid. Now that was going to change a little bit. He had Harden for a full season. But remember when Doc blew, and again, the team did as well, the Clippers blew the 3-1 lead in 2020 to the Denver Nuggets. A bunch of different reasons. But one of the ones that I knew drove the front office crazy was the Montrez Harrell Zubac minutes. With Jokic on the floor and Harrell on the floor, the Clippers were minus 27. With Jokic on the floor and Zubac on the floor, they were plus 9. That's a 36-point swing, and Doc kept going back to Montrez. It's not like Zubach was some rookie either, but that's Doc. That's what some coaches just, hey, I'm going to die with my vets. I can trust them. Uh, I, trust is trust is nice in theory, but it's when the reality is it's not working out there. So I don't know where Philadelphia is going to magically find some five pre-Embiid's return that's going to solve these problems, but don't be surprised if Doc, as he just told us, hey, I'm going to keep doing this. Um, because that's what he did, and it's probably part of the reason, I think it's a good chunk of the reason why he ended up not coaching the Clippers after 2020. So, Rudy, I know you had a question there. No, like you said it right. Like He's going to die with his vets, right? And But the, the, the reality is he's going to die either way. Like They're not going to survive without Embiid, so why not take some chances? I'm just trying to understand why he's so stubborn and why he would make this decision, because, you know, DeAndre Jordan hasn't worked out in, in years for any team. If the if you know the answer to the question is DeAndre Jordan, then you're probably fucked either way. But why is like he sees the he sees the stats, he sees the minutes, he sees that he's minus twenty five or I think or minus twenty two. I think in in eighteen or so minutes last night, and he sees that Paul Reed's playing kind of well. Although I I think you're right, like Twitter falls in love with Paul Reed after one good game. It's probably a reason he didn't play a ton of minutes over the season. But I don't understand like like. Is it because they're so married and he's so married to playing a traditional big like MB that he's like, I don't want to change up the system? Um, I mean, they're they're screwed either way because I don't think they have a matchup for Bam no matter what. I mean, I don't think many teams have a matchup for Bam, but I'm just trying to understand why he would be so stubborn in this situation because like your Spolstras, your Nick Nurses, like you you would believe that they would completely revamp and change their lineup, change their change their entire system. Where I'm wondering if Doc is just like we play with the center and that's how we're playing. So. I think it's easy to pile on Doc. I'm just trying to understand why he would be so stubborn in this situation when it's kind of a win-win because you're not expected to win the series anyway without Embiid. It is a great question observation by you um, because I don't love when a team is helpless. You're like, well, you should have done this. Like, Whenever I hear somebody say like, oh, that coach sucks. He didn't make any adjustments. Like I've heard about Steve Nash a ton. Like, oh, he sucks. He didn't make any adjustments. So, like if you're arguing, you can say Steve Nash sucks. Okay. If you say he doesn't make any adjustments, then you're being completely intellectually dishonest because he tried a bunch of different things and none of them worked because Boston was just better than them. And we have a really hard time at times just admitting, hey, that team's just way better than them. And it's it's not always on the coach here. And that's the case now without Embiid. 
The reason I think your point is worth like exploring further is two things. Doc said after the game that he asked the guys at halftime about DeAndre Jordan coming out and starting the second half. And he said specifically, like, we wanted a role guy. You know, Harden wanted the role guy. I don't know if Harden just wants DeAndre Jordan out there the way Kevin Durant like wanted DeAndre Jordan there as a teammate. So then Doc's thinking, if I just bench DeAndre Jordan, do the guys like him enough that then they're going to be pissed? Um, but I don't love stubbornness. I don't love stubbornness yeah. with coaches. And that's why, like, even Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr changed up what he did two or three times in game one against Memphis. And that's the Golden State Warriors. Still trying to figure out who they are on the fly. So maybe they're a little bit more malleable because it was an odd season again. Going, all right, now start it up in the playoffs, even though you had, what, 11 minutes with Clay, Steph, and Draymond. But he tried different things. But when a team is losing, we keep thinking that there's this like endless list of options to go to and Philadelphia doesn't have those. And like you said, Bam doesn't matter. Bam without Embiid, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Bam's just he's going to he's going to beat up any of your options. So even though the non-center read stuff, the plus minus for a game played out in favor of some of those maneuvers that Doc went with, but you know, what really ends up happening here and it, but it didn't happen with the Clippers in the Nuggets series. And that's why that front office, I think, got so frustrated with him towards the end is I like when a, well, I'm not saying I like it, but I find it funny when a coach is stubborn about something and then it's a close game with four minutes to go. And the thing everybody was mad about him doing, he doesn't do. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, so now when it really matters, you're actually taking out the guy that everybody wanted you to take out. Well, I think it's funny too. Like, you say you don't like guys that are stubborn. I'm with you on that, but I do think it would be funny. Like, imagine if he starts DJ in game two and pulls him after like two minutes and doesn't see another minute the rest of the game. And, and Paul Reed plays like 20 minutes and is, is awesome. Like, that's kind of what I want to see because I do respect stubbornness in that way. Uh, but it's just kind of just like, it kind of feels like it's just a dead man walking thing. And I, I don't I don't know if we want to get into Daryl Morey factor of this at all. Do you think Daryl's in his ear being like, Doc, what the hell are you doing? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Or do you think he's just completely hands off saying, we're going to have to just come back and do this thing again next year, probably without you, Doc. I don't know the Philly part of it. I know the, the Clippers part of it is the information was presented to him and they would they would watch what would happen and they they were not happy about it. So there you go. Let's talk to Gary Payton. The playoffs are heating up and you can make every game feel like Game 7 on FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Throughout the playoffs, all customers can place a no-sweat same-game parlay each week and you're going to get up to $20 in free bets if you don't win. FanDuel has so many ways to play. And best of all, when you do win, you'll get paid faster than a fast break. Okay, let's dig in here. Um, the last one we gave you, I think every element of that one hit on the Brandon Clark double-double. Uh, the unders that we kept doing in Minnesota and Memphis. Every time we picked an under, it did go under. Um, the highest number here is Memphis again, Golden State. Uh, Gold State's favorite in that one again on the road. It's 227. It's a huge number. I would just say, you know, second game, grinding it a little bit. Although that game might go really small. They just might go super small with the whole thing and everybody run around all over the place. But you do want to slow Memphis down. So that might be some kind of priority. Draymond will be back in. That'll probably slow it down a little bit. So if you want to total there, maybe the under there, 227 and a half. All right. If we look at the same game parlays, the Philly stuff is interesting because there's one where it's to score 20 points or more for Harden is minus 265, where you feel like without Embiid and the free throw part of this, I mean, that seems a shock. Butler's only minus 220. 
where there's other stuff that shows on some of the scoring things, um, like it's a way worse odds, but in the same game parlay, it's not as bad. So that's something to look at. And I think there's some BAM stuff here. If you go player rebounds, it's worth taking a look at. BAM's 10 and a half on the total there. I mean, Philadelphia shot the ball horribly in game one, um, but Miami is still plus 10. So if they go small and then beat, or excuse, you know, and Bead's not around, and there's they abandoned even the DeAndre Jordan part of this. Then there's some rebound totals in there that are probably uh, probably decent decent chances to hit the over on the Miami side. So there you go. New to FanDuel? Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with the promo code Ryan R Y E N. Once again, that's promo code Ryan R Y E N. If you already have an account, you're all set to bet. No sweat. Either way, you'll get up to $20 in free bets if your same game parlay during the playoffs doesn't win. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA, must be 21 and older in select states. Refund issued at non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max free bet $20 per week. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-789-7777, or visit slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER, or visit fanduel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, PA, Virginia, or 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help, Michigan, 1-877-8. Hope, New York, or text Hope, New York, 467-369, New York, Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789, Tennessee, or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net, West Virginia. Gary Payton, legendary Sonic, all-time 90s player, all-time trash talker, Hall of Famer. He's going to join us now. Gary, I want to start with your son, who we've, we've really all enjoyed watching him. Um, this is six-plus years after going undrafted, four NBA teams. There's like eight G League stints in there. I know you're there for game one in Memphis. What's this been like for you to watch his journey? Well, you know what? It, it, it's really it's really not that hard for me because during the six years, uh, the disappointment for my son was when he didn't get drafted. We knew he was a good basketball player. He just had to find a net and a net for a team that wanted to let him play the, the style of basketball that he wanted to play. I think Golden State was it was their team. Um, Kerr, he let him, he's letting him be him. You know what I'm saying? Once you have value for a player, it's just like the Tuckers from from Miami, them type of guys, man, who they're really not the superstars, but they're the glue. And my son is the glue to Golden State as on the defensive end and everything else because he does so much. And if you get a plus from him when he scores, that's a big plus for you. You know, and, and I and I just think that I've been expecting this, and he finally got the opportunity. And I think he's taking advantage of this now, and he's and he's playing well right now because I think he's got that confidence. And I and, and I always tell people, basketball is about confidence. When you get a confidence level where you're going to be to that point where when you take a shot, you think it's going to go in all the time. You know you're going to make a great play. You're going to know you're going to do good things. You do that. But when you are on a basketball floor, and every minute you're thinking, well, is he going to sub me if I make a mistake? I'm only going to be on the floor two or three minutes. That's not a good good system to have. And I think my son had that for the first six years with a lot of teams that didn't really give him an opportunity. And now he's got that opportunity and that confidence is there. And they don't they found a good basketball player. I've watched the interviews. I've read about your upbringing. And I know your dad's nickname was Mr. Mean. And 
I wonder how much of his tough love, his tough parenting, how that influenced you as a father. Very much. You know, um, I, I when I grew up, uh, it wasn't like me uh, raising my son. You know, my son had a silver spoon in his mouth. You know, because he had big houses, he had cars, he was going to private school at first, and then you know, at the end of his his his, uh, his schooling, he he decided he wanted to go to public, which was great for me. I wanted him to learn how to become that type of guy and go to a school that they don't cater to you. You know, I never got a cater school. I never went to private school. I never went to none of that. So it was one of these things where my father always put me down. And I like that. I like when he always tell me if I had 35, my father should always just tell me I should have 50 on the, t- on the team. And that's what I like. And that's where my toughness became. When I started doing it with my son, my son was, you know, he was the ball boy for us. He used to be around basketball all the time with Seattle and and things like that. And he's got the knack, he got the knack for basketball, and that was good. And and now that he's understanding, everybody says he's quiet, but you know that that's just him. But he's got that killer in him. That when he's quiet, that means you should be you should be you should be uh, worried about him. And that's what he's doing right now. That's one of the things I always loved about you. Um, the toughness, you know, I knew exactly what I was getting, but I got to wonder what that's like as, as a rookie. Like you come in, what, 90, 91, the team went through three coaches. We know you're a top pick. We'd all seen you play in the pack 10 at that time. So we're like, we kind of knew what's that like for a group. And it wasn't like this team had won a bunch of games, the, you know, Kemp had been there a couple of years. What was it like you trying to figure out, like, I'm sure you didn't give a shit about trying to fit in or not, but I, I'm, I'm imagining as a young player, somebody like, wait, I know this guy's tough, but what, what the hell is this all about? You know, when I came in in 90, and Sean was in his second year, and we were we was under Casey Jones, and it, it was just a difference. You know, it, it's a difference. I, I went through the same thing that my son went through for six years. You having coaches that don't believe in you. You think that they want you to do certain things. They're used to certain other stuff. Casey Jones was used to Larry Bird, uh, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish. He was Danny Ainge and stuff like that, and Dennis Johnson. He was used to that. And me as a youngster coming in at 20 years old, you know, I got to learn the game. I had all the confidence and in, in, in in ability to do it. But I didn't learn the game. I was going against the Larry Birds uh, at that time that were older, that the Isaiahs, uh, you know, the, the uh, John Stocktons and the Jordans, and they were killing me. And they didn't learn how to teach me the game or give me a confidence in that game. And when he did, when that happened, you know, I started failing, you know, and I looked like trash for the last first two years. Everybody was like, "Oh, this is a bust." We, they picked him at number two, thought he was going to be this and that, but he's not that. But it wasn't about my talent. It was about my confidence of what I needed to have. And I didn't have confidence. And then when George Carl came in and he, he, he gave me that confidence, and me and Sean Kim took off. We took off to another level, and it was, it was just a great eight years that we had a run. And we had a great eight years of run. And then next thing you know, we became the glove and the rank man. What's that relationship like at camp at, at the top of your powers? What was that like? Well, it's still real great. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with him yesterday about some stuff, man. And uh, he's come to see me this weekend. 
and uh, we, we, we're going to hang out at, at, at some of the games. So, you know, it, we're, our relationship is really great. He, he's like a little brother to me, you know, and, uh, you know, for him to be there before me, and I'm older than him, it, it's just, it's crazy. But, you know, anytime he needs help with anything, like the other, yesterday, he needed help with some stuff, and he called me, you know, he texted me emergency, and, and we got it, we got it solved. But it's just like, when you have a relationship with a, with a person like that and become really close like that, that is, that's what, I, that's what I, I, that you want. You want that from a basketball player that you play with and did a lot of things. And then as you get older after basketball, you guys can still be that, that family type close type of situation. And that's what me and Sean is. Now you found yourself in those first couple of years trying to figure out, you know, how does the light switch go off? What were the things that you were saying? I still think Kemp, I mean, it's arguable. He's in the conversation, best in-game dunker I've ever seen. You know, Vince, you know, MJ certainly, but some of the Kemp, Dominique, Kemp was so powerful. Like it was also humiliating too, when he would do it to you at times. And that's the kind of stuff we all grew up watching, man. I, I'd love to know more about how you guys as young players, though, were talking to each other is, you know, six years later, you're playing in the NBA finals, how you built to that point. How you built to that point is when you, 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 you get with a player and a person and you get off the court and you hang out with each other a lot. When we hung out with each other a lot, then we get on the floor at practice and we start talking to each other and we get a relationship and we get respect for each other. When you have respect for the two, for each other, then you gain uh, a relationship like that. And with us, it doesn't matter. We could have said whatever we wanted to say to each other, and, but just don't take it personal. You don't supposed to take things personal. You know what I'm saying? If Sean told me something, I can't get mad at him. But if I did get mad at him, we would have to let that go. You know what I'm saying? And then after the game, we're still hanging, being friends. You cannot not get uh, be friends after something because we're trying to help it people are in a heated moment of games and get mad so what me and him had a relationship where we never got mad at each other we might have thought we got mad at each other because we yelled at each other but we did we let each other we let we, we can say anything to each other anything i don't care what it was and we didn't take it personal and that's how you get a relationship with a basketball player or another person if you want to be that good, and that's what we did, and, and we got better and better. You know, the only thing I ever tell Sean is that I regret that he didn't work out the, the contract and he left. You know what I'm saying? He got traded. You know, we should have worked that out because right now I think if me and Sean would have stayed together until I left Seattle, he'll be a, he'll be a Hall of Famer right now. You know what I'm saying? With me. But, you know, that's, that's another case. But I always say, that's the only thing Sean really didn't listen to me with is about the contract stuff. And I understand it. It's light. But I, I think we should have worked that out a little bit more and we should have stayed together for a good time like John Stockton and Carl Malone. The 96 finals, you've talked about it a million times. I'm sure you've been asked every single question about it the entire time. Um, and then the defensive assignments and you taking Jordan later on and the frustration with that. And then it was all kind of came back around during the pandemic because people watched The Last Dance and, and Jordan was fairly dismissive of the idea that you would shut him down. What did that make you feel? Again, watching it all, you know, something you probably hadn't thought about or at least talked about. It hadn't become that public in almost a decade and a half. That didn't bother me because you know, I would have been, I would have been, I wouldn't have respected Mike 
uh, no more if he would have said something else that would have been different because we were competitors. That was his documentary. He did what he needed to do. You know what I'm saying? He the one that said that laughed and giggled and stuff like that. That doesn't bother me because if even people watch that series, people know what happened and know what went down. You know what I'm saying? I know what went down. I, I don't have no, 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 I, I don't regret nothing. I ain't got no, no animosity. That was in 1996. I know how I played. And he know how he played. They won the championship. That is what it is, you know. But as you know, before the series started, I was hurt. People didn't really know that. And George Carl made a decision on not putting me on him because he wanted my offense. So that was fine. And then all of a sudden, game game four, I decided to start guarding. You know, and it switched up for us. You know, we won two games by uh, by almost twenty points or more, and that's just what happens. But Mike wouldn't have got my respect if if I if he would have said anything else that I got him or whatever, whatever. But that's not Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. He's gonna be competitive, he's gonna be who he is. He, you know, we always say, you know, you could argue if he was one of the he was the best. I don't category people as being the best at nothing. All of us was good. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't bother me about about that documentary. I, I really don't care. Because it doesn't, it doesn't make nothing. It doesn't change anything in our lives. You know what I'm saying? He's a Hall of Famer. I'm a Hall of Famer. He's on the top seventy-five. I'm the top seventy-five. Who cares? You know what I'm saying? He won it. He more they're, they're well deserved. The trash talking part of this, like you would, I don't even know if you'd make it to the second half in today's game. No, I would. <laughs> Draymond, they think Draymond is is a big. Is a, is a villain. They boy, they would have hated me in this era. <laughs> but I was it. I want I want some stories here, but I'm trying to figure out like how often was it was it playful and how often was it just vicious for you going at other players and what you would say to them, like like hey, I'm gonna be in your head, and then probably some moments where you probably cross the line, but you also did that to get in their head too. Like what what that ratio was. Well, I was always playful when I come out because I wanted to start up something. I wanted to start up the, me getting the advantage of the person because that's I'll take his game away from him by him always concentrating on me. That was my whole whole intent every time I came into a basketball game. But as it getting personal, a lot of the guys didn't really get personal with me. You know what I'm saying? They, some of them would, and then you know they would try it, and then people were like, "Yo, don't that ain't the one to get personal with." And what did What's the worst somebody tried something you on? Well, nobody really tried nothing on me. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to be honest with you, you know, because they knew I wasn't, I was a no-nonsense guy. And, you know, it was about fun. If you couldn't deal with it, don't work with it. You know what I'm saying? I think Tim Hardaway was probably the only one that really, really tested me before. Uh, you know, he's from Chicago. He's a guy where he doesn't back down. I'm from Oakland. I don't back down. And we got into it, and, and we didn't like each other for a, a good period of time. Whereas now, you know, as we get older, it doesn't matter. He's, he's, a, he's a great friend of mine now. You know, uh, uh, she, I'll be at his Hall of Fame induction this in September because, you know, that's just what it is. I've been fighting for him to get on the Hall of Fame for years now, and we finally done it. So, you know, that, that it happens. You know what I'm saying? That happens. It was basketball at that time. That's when I thought basketball was great. 
because we could talk, we could chatter, we could do a lot of things to each other. We didn't have to go to video films and, and see if it was flaggings and all that old stuff. You know what I'm saying? We could just play, you know what I'm saying? And talk whatever we got to talk. But I think Tim Hardaway was the only one that really, really challenged me. I never had no challenges from nobody else. I think people always told, they read the coaches and everything always said, just leave him in his shell. If he doesn't look like he's there today, just leave him alone. Don't start talking to him. And they would leave me alone. Okay, how about this? It was there a moment where somebody got so mad at you, like they were like, they were okay, now now it's something you said and it, they couldn't handle it. Like, what's, what do you think the maddest? Is there a story there? The, the person Lamar, got the maddest? Lamar Odom, Lamar Odom was, was probably the, the worst. And I felt really bad about that and I still feel bad about that to this day. You know, um, I was talking about his mom and I was talking about her bad and I didn't know that she passed the day before. And um, he was so mad at me uh, that he he didn't finish the game and he went in the back and I heard he was very upset and, uh, you know, going through some emotional stuff. And uh, next thing you know, I, when we the game ended, you know, his uh, his peoples came over and told my my peoples that, you know, you know, he was very upset and, you know, his mom had passed and Gary went up, went over the line. And me being who I am, you know, I'm, I'm not a guy who's going to say, forget it. So what? You know what I'm saying? Because if that was my mom, I would have been, I would have been upset too. But, you know, I went over there and apologized to him. And, you know, it was, it was one of the things where, you know, we, me and him didn't talk for a long period of time. You never had a losing record in Seattle. Did you know that? I did. I knew that. I knew yeah. that. The only thing I came close to was when we had the lockout and it was 25 and 25, but yeah. it was losing record. So, yeah, no, I never, my 13 years, yes, I never, I never had a losing record in Seattle. How bad was the end when you got traded for Ray Allen? Because I, I, look, I've read about it. I remember when it happened and we were trying to figure it out, but it, it felt like you, you felt personally betrayed by ownership at that point. Like you could have stuck it out, but then it had crossed the line. What happened with that? What it led to the trade? Well, you know, the ownership during that time was really bad. Uh, you know, a lot of things were said, a lot of a lot of lies were going on. It wasn't really, you know, I, I tried to stick it out. I tried to do it. Nate McMillan was the coach at the time. You know, he was trying to talk to me. And, and it just got to a point where the lies got to a point where I couldn't deal with it. I just, I just couldn't handle it. Uh, my agent went in there and, and told him we had to do what we had to do. Uh, at the time, George Carl was with Milwaukee. Uh, and I was still, you know, I was still an all-star. I was still hot. I was in my prime still and, and, and in 2013. Uh, I mean, 2003, I'm sorry. And um, it was just a point where, listen, I was just like, we there's had to be something done, you know. And, and at the time, you know, uh, George, like I said, George was at Milwaukee. Milwaukee wanted to part ways. So me and... Um, what, uh, my guy from Oklahoma State. You're talking about the trade? Yeah, the trade. It was us two and five other players. From yeah, Desmond Wal Mason. Yeah. Des Desmond, yeah, me and Desmond. And I just talked to Desmond. And me and Desmond gets traded for Ray and, and, and four other guys. So it was, it was, it was, it, it is what it is. I just, the management in Seattle were, was so bad and the ownership was so bad uh, that these guys, and you see what happened, how that happened. The team gets sold, and now you can't. You don't hear from that management. 
So that was just bad management and just bad people around Seattle at the time. When you ended up with the Lakers, does it start with Magic recruiting you and Carl Malone and, and putting it all together? Like, how did that how did that come about? Because I've heard it was Magic. Magic just says, "Hey, let's 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 get this done. Come to L.A." Well, Magic was Magic was a big part about it, but I didn't come to Seattle. I didn't come to L.A. Magic. I came to L.A. because of uh, uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq was 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 like another like little brother to me, and he was like, "Yo, let's come on, let's do it." You know what I'm saying? We, we need to do it. You, you, you're a free agent. Come on here. Keep on. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> Carl started talking about it. He was leaving Utah. And Carl, me and Carl had already talked about it long, for a long period of time that he wanted to play with me. And uh, we got on the phone and we, we decided we flipped a coin, really, to see who would take the exception and who would take less. And I won. <laughs> and so he took the lesson. I took the exception. Wait, and so that was double. That was like way right. You made five million probably on the exception, and then if he's in the right. second exception, that's I think it might have been you know, under two made, million. Yeah, he made one point nine. Yes, we 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 made it because we had decided that we were gonna we were gonna go anyway, and we didn't really need the money really at the time, and you know what it is. And we were saying we were trying to win a championship, and we wanted to do it, and. We were only going to sign a year or two anyway, so we he, he, we flipped a coin and you know he lost and and I won and he took the he took the uh, I took the, I got the exception and he's got the, he got the minimal and we went you know and, and then Magic started calling us and we were already we told him that we we're going to come and, and we're going to try to make this special. Is that loss actually more frustrating in the finals to Detroit than losing to Jordan with Seattle '96? No, I think it's more frustrating with Mike now. Uh, I, I think the, the, the Laker one, we had a lot of things going on. Just What's, what, what was going on there? Why why was it so bad towards the end? Because you still made it to the well, finals. Yeah, we made it to the finals. That's because of great coaching with with Phil and uh, and and our great and our great cast, our set our, our second cast. Because I was the only one of the superstars that played all eighty two games, which everybody don't understand. You know, you got forgot Kobe was going through the situation he was going through in Denver, which was what caused a lot of lot of havoc because he had to go back and forth from Denver all the time. So he wasn't really with the basketball team at the time. Then we had Carl who got hurt in 20 games in the season and missed the next 60. You know, he missed the next 62 games. He missed 62 games. And he was a big part of our, our our triangle because he kept everything going. And then we had Shaq going through the, the tour with him and Dr. Buss. So that was a lot of things going on. And we never really played with each other on a full tilt. We us four should have played with each other on a full tilt. It'd have been a whole different story. We started off 18 and two. You know what I'm saying? So that was a, a, a situation where I just thought that. We didn't be together. We wasn't together. And by the time that we really got it going in the playoffs, Carl got re-hurt in the playoffs. And then at this time, Shaq and Kobe, we, it, everybody's mind was just, just, it was just tore up. And we just couldn't fight a good team who had got to rolling in the Detroit Pistons. They was just rolling. They had everything going. 
and all their players was getting there, you know, Rasheed, uh, Prince, Chauncey, uh, uh, you know, Big Ben, they were rolling. You know what I'm saying? And we, you know, they beat us in the first game, and then Kobe hit a big shot, and, and we tied it up. And then all of a sudden, we went to Detroit, and they beat us three, three games out of out of out of the three. So it was it wasn't even, that wasn't even it. I don't I don't think I don't even look at that championship and say I'm disappointed because we didn't have our full tilt during the time. There's been a thing going on now for years as we've seen this game evolve in a very short amount of time, right? Tons of threes, small guys, nobody runs it through the post. Hell, you would have been like one of the top post possession players in the NBA today. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about yeah. the way that you would kind of hybrid perimeter and, and post play. There's so many players from your era that just kind of dump on this. Hey, why don't they do this? I, I don't know. I, I'm, I've never talked to you about it. So I don't know if you look at Steph flying around and say, well, why don't they do this? I, I'm, I just want to know. When you sit there and watch that game, one of the playoffs, you see Jaw doing what he's doing. You know, seeing a Jordan Poole come off the bench, what Steph has done. How how different does it look? Like, how do you talk about this game with your era when you sit there and watch what some of these guys are capable of today? Well, I, I don't say what they're capable of. I, I, I just say that it, it just changed because of athleticism that they have. They have a lot of more athletic people in the NBA than when we were. I don't say they are more athletic than us. I just say it, it's it's common now. So we we take we take an example. Their weapon now is a three point shot. Our weapon was the, the big man. Nobody in this era would be able to guard Shaq. Shaq would score fifty every night. They would have to file him all the time. He'd be at the free throw line all the time. It's no way possible. But what the problem would be is that he couldn't guard anybody neither because he couldn't get out there and defend the three. You know what I'm saying? So it would be different. But as I see the younger guys in this era, they go going and dunk on people. They're doing this stuff and all the scratch. My, my son scratches his head. I, w- I would hurt one of them. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. when he when he dunked on Bain and he was scratching his head to kind of show him up a little bit, but he got away with it. Yeah, I would, I would, I would hurt my son for that. He would the next play he'd come down. I, I would try to break his back. You know what I'm saying? See, in our era, that's disrespectful. You know what I'm saying? You made a good play, gone on about your business. You know, you did it. You know what I'm saying? But that is what their era is about. When you on a fast break and it's two on, it's three on one, and you can go get a layup after you've made a great stop, and you stop and shoot a three and you don't make that shot, and another team gets a rebound and come back and score. That momentum swing change could have been from you being five to zero to now you're going to be either three-three or two-three when they come back down on the end, and that's not good shots for me. That's just not good possessions, and that's what they do. But this is their era, and we can't talk anything about it. All I can do is sit on the sideline and just shake my head and say, that's just not that's not basketball that I'm I'm used to. But that's it's not my era. This is their era. Do you like Chris Paul? Love him. Love him to death. He's the one that I always say it's only to me in this game right now, it's only two true point guards. That's Chris Paul and, and, and Rondo. That's it. I don't I don't think it's any other true point guards. I got we got point guards that that from that was twos in college and everything converted into ones. And they put them in there and they shoot the basketball. 
But Chris Paul is a guy who gets you involved with the game, who can get you a good bucket. He gets in mid-range, he shoots three, and he gets everybody involved. You know, and then Rondo does the same thing with the defense and things he does. All other point guards to me now are scoring point guards. You get assists yet now because the simple fact is you can dribble the ball two or three times. And with my era, if you put the ball on the floor one time and make another bounce, that's not an assist. But nowadays, they're getting assists like that. And that's why it's triple doubles here and there. Triple doubles was unheard of when we were playing basketball. It was just too hard to get because we didn't do all of that. But now it's common. You're absolutely right about the assists, the scores and the way they give them out now. And I've looked back at it too. There's certain players, players I like, players I don't like, where the home assist handouts are just absurd. Uh, uh, Unnecessary. And then all of a sudden, you know, you throw a ball to a player and he dribbles three times and dunk it, you get the assist. It's not an assist. Assist is when you get to a boy and you commit, people commit to you, you give it to them and they lay it up and dunk the thing. That's an assist to me. You know what I'm saying? But that's just, like I said, that's just the way it goes nowadays. And that's why that's why you see Oscar Robinson held the three-point, the, uh, the, the triple-double thing for so long. And now we come along and then, you know, we get the Hardens, we get the Westbrooks. You know, they start breaking stuff because that's just the way the era goes. All right, last thing. I don't know if you're going to remember this. I traveled with the Celtics one time. I lived in Boston. I covered the team. I was in the studio. So I was there your year. And then randomly one game, one game, they asked me to travel and do play-by-play because I had to fill in. Do you remember when our plane almost went down from the Air Force Base on the way to that Nets game? Yeah. I was scared as I don't know what. I was on the plane with you. You was. Hey, we all was. I was like, this is our last time. I don't know what's going to happen, but there's going to be news if the Boston Celtics players all be gone. You know what I'm saying? And that was a scary thing. And I was like, man, I don't know why we flying in this type of weather in the first place. You know what I'm saying? But yes, I was. I, I was scared. I was the most scared I ever been in my life. So that was for me. I'm only 20. Nine, and it was like, okay, I'm going to stay. I'm going to fly with the team on the charter. We're going to stay at the Ritz in Central Park because Doc, even if you played in New Jersey, he had it in the deal that the players get to stay in Manhattan because he didn't want to stay in New Jersey. So the players love the right. trip. And so I'm like losing it. It's the nicest hotel I've ever stayed in. I've never been in that part of town. I got no money. And then we almost die in the plane. And then the the guy, remember the pilot came down and started high-fiving us when we landed because he was that freaked out about the whole thing. So then I was in my room studying because it was one of those weird Saturday day games. It was the strangest thing. So it was an early tip. And then I was like, I got to go down to the hotel lobby and just have a couple of beers. Like, I have to like see what this is like. So GP is down there holding court. (laughs) There's all sorts of guys down there. And I'm, I'm this one white guy standing off to the side who nobody's talking to because I don't know anybody anyway. You and I don't know each other. You wouldn't have, you shouldn't have known who I was. I was filling in on the radio broadcast and you were telling this story and everybody was like, that's right, GP. That's I tell my boys the story all the time. And everybody's like, you're the king. You're running it. You're asking like, how many, 
how many all-star games has Allen Houston made? And they're like, not as many as you, man. And it was, it was hilarious. <laughs> and so then I jump in and I made this stupid line about, I was like, you know who isn't in the all-star? I was like, that plane, that, that pilot. And it was like record scratch. And then you turned right. to me and you were like, that's right, motherfucker. Like gave me a big hug. And then everybody was like, all right, he's cool. <laughs> so you probably don't know that story from my perspective, obviously, but I always meant to share that with you because it was pretty funny. And we probably was drunk too by that time anyway. <laughs> I got to tell you, you, know? you were, you were, it was, it was so, because you were like, all right, we got a day game. I can't be going out. <laughs> <laughs> you went yeah. upstairs and that was it. You ordered breakfast. I remember you telling me my move is I order breakfast for myself before I go to bed. And I was like, yeah, all right. That's all yeah. I like, like about my breakfast guy. You remember that? I, I, that's all I eat is breakfast. I eat, I can eat it. I can eat it all through the day. That's what I eat. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, because it was it was uh, it was funny because then I stayed. And then once you were gone, it was like, no, now you're now your your cool factor is gone you need to get out of here too uh before i let you go gary i know you're working with hennessy i've seen the ad campaign it's terrific it's unfinished business long-term initiative from hennessy uh they've already distributed more than five million in funding small businesses and you know making sure after covid to uh businesses that are an emphasis on diversity and making sure you get more funds out there so tell us what you're doing with hennessy well, this is a, a big thing. Uh, the unfinished business is a big thing. I've, I've been working with Hennessy now for a couple of months. We're just trying to get the Black, uh, Latino, the Asian, we're trying to get them back on their feet. You know, as COVID went through, a, a, we went through COVID, a lot of businesses was lost. I hate to see small businesses and, they're, and they spend all their money. And next thing you know, it's two years down the line and they still, they done lost all their hard earned work, everything. And we're trying to do something with Hennessy. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's 17 or 15 other uh, NBA teams that are doing it. We're going to put $2.5 million into it this year. They've already put $5 million into it. Now they're putting two point five million to make it $7.5 million. And we give out, we give out help to get these people businesses back. Because I can know if you go in your hometown right now, you still you still see a lot of businesses boarded up. A lot of things are there, and they can't get the boards off and get their businesses back up. This is what we're trying to do to help it become that way. And I've teamed up with them, too, with my, my foundation and stuff like that, because we want to help. I want to help these people get their, get their feet back under them and get their businesses back. Because right now, you know, a lot of people are behind on mortgages. They're behind on a lot of things and they're losing this stuff. And it's not their fault because of pandemic. So we need to get this help with them. And I want everybody to understand that, that we can get more people to sponsor this stuff and get it more. Hennessy started it off. Great company. I'm glad to be a part of them and, and being a partner with them. Now we got to get other people to do it so that we can get these people back on their feet. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the top 75 players in the history of the game. He's Gary Payton. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime. Let me know. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute 
to get done. They set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options, protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Joining us, she's a tough one. She's a tough one to get. In demand, Diana Rossini of ESPN. Terrific on all NFL coverage. Thanks for joining us today. What's up? Hi, in demand. Who wrote that? It says here on the notes. It says on the notes, introduce in, in demand. We know. We know uh, how popular you are this time. All right, so the draft is behind us. I want to dig into a bunch of different things here. Um, you know, look, the quarterback headline, and I ended up being kind of wrong about this one. I always feel like everybody dumps on the quarterback class, and as you get closer to the draft, teams get a little desperate, and they start taking somebody. It was the opposite. It went even worse than any of the projections. Uh, what was the sense that you got of how it ended up being one guy in the first round and a long wait for the rest of this class? You know, it's one of those drafts where it actually played out with scouts and GMs were sharing with me before, and I don't want to say I was ignoring them, but I wasn't completely buying in because we see every year there's such a pattern. Teams get antsy. They start moving up. And, you know, even when we head into drafts where the quarterbacks aren't even rating that high, quarterbacks are still going in the second round. And then it played out exactly how I think a lot of teams knew it would, which I think we can say the quarterbacks went where they should have. Based on, on, on the type of talent that's out there, it kind of all leveled out and, and they fell where they, where they should. There, there was no one that, that reached for one. There's no one that I thought fell too far. Um, once the dust settled and I just took a look back and even just having conversations around the league, there's still a little bit of, um, it's not even shock, but it's like, man, this is kind of wild just to think yeah, a quarter, a, a class that just didn't have a lot of good quarterbacks. That's just the reality. In fact, it was almost historically the worst draft in terms of quarterbacks and, and where they fell. Uh, I think it came close to like 2015 uh, that year. So yeah, I, I think it's one of those, this we'll, we'll, we're going to look back on this draft and say that was just the year the quarterback didn't really matter as much. Yeah, looking at just it overall, I mean, it's one thing for Malik Willis to end up going in the third round, which like felt like forever because Ritter was mentioned. You know, it was like, hey, they'll probably end up being three of these guys that go in the first round. And then you have Sam Howell at one point was projected to be a top 10 pick go in the fifth round. Um, I, I don't know. Like this ended up being it doesn't normally happen this way. And I, you know, we can go back to the EJ Manuel draft and go, all right, well, you know, that was that was kind of like this. It's like, yeah, but still think of the projections. Even if you didn't like this class, this ended up being something that was was a disaster for this group. And Malik Willis, who shows up to the event, he goes in the third round of Tennessee. 
out of Liberty. Um, and I know you have more on the AJ Brown trade and all that kind of stuff, but what do you think led to the decision of, of Willis, you know, landing there once a team probably felt like, Hey, we have this guy rated higher than this. We have to make a move or what it means maybe for the future position for the franchise. Yeah. Uh, I think what made that move really interesting to me and the fact that Tennessee went after him was I, I did not know Tennessee was in the market for a quarterback uh, headed into this draft. That wasn't the chatter I was hearing. Um, we know that, you know, Ryan Tannehill, he wasn't at voluntary workouts. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, talk down in Nashville about whether or not he should have been there uh, on the on phase one of the offseason program. And, and purely, purely on the fact that it ended the way it did. Three interceptions against the Bengals. Eli Apple picks you off. You throw an interception in the first play of the game. I mean, right. I cover a lot of football. You know that I've been to tons of games live in person. And I haven't been to a game in a long time where I could feel the air leave Nissan Stadium. It was devastating to those fans. It was devastating. I This is going to be one of those losses that Tennessee's going to look back on. I, I still believe four or five years and be like, what happened? How did that happen? So you take that and you apply it to where they're at now and you see them go after Malik Willis, who, by the way, I had a team who has a starting quarterback, a good one. I wouldn't say a very good one, a good one, who texted me, if we didn't have this guy, we would have went after Malik in the first round, which that shocked me. Like, oh, oh. Really? You know, and I also think it's a, it's very easy to say that when you have your guy, right? It's like, and, and I think, by the way, that's another reason why we we saw all these quarterbacks fall. The, the, the jobs are taken. There's no one's desperate, um, you know, which is why I think these teams were able to show so much patience. So, look, I don't know this from talking to Tennessee's side. Like, I didn't get Tennessee's reasoning on it, but just from being around that team and knowing how they operate, I think this was a, hey, Ryan Tannehill, you better get ready to show up and you better come back to Nashville with that chip that you had when Marcus Mariota was the starter. And you were looking to show the world that you were the starter after the the way it ended in Miami. Yeah, and they have what, like one year left on the Tannehill deal? Um so I don't I don't know if that plays into it too. Cause is there is there more in the Tannehill financial part of this, Jan? Yeah, there, there's definitely, look, it, looking back on it, it's like, oh, it actually makes sense that they took a quarterback just based on the contract. Uh, you know, Ryan is, Ryan has the biggest cap hit of any other NFL player in the league. Let's just start there, right? So they're paying him a lot of money. Um, and eventually they're going to have to figure out what they want to do if they want to move on from him. And that would probably be most likely in the fall, next season, not this season coming up. So to me, I think they draft a player like Malik Willis to light a fire under Ryan Tannehill's butt. Do I think he's going, do I think Malik Willis is going to actually truly compete in camp and win the job? No, 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 no. I don't think he's ready. In fact, I've talked to enough people around the league about where he's at in his game. He's not ready. Um, He's going to need to learn and and be around and, and, and perhaps even learn from Ryan Tannehill. But he does have characteristics and and parts of his game and part of him as a person that I heard is just electric. And I think this could be a really good fit for him, uh, knowing the way these, that team is, how they're built, 
their identity and, and going all the way up to their leadership, that this, this could be the best thing they did to get the most out of Ryan Tannehill again. They trade A.J. Brown, who we know like the impact on off the field for them. How this team, to be the one seed with all the injuries, and you know we can talk about the receivers running back as well, but, but A.J. really started to solidify himself as a real game changer at that position, and they end up moving on from him. So I imagine it was they didn't want to pay him. They didn't have the flexibility to go ahead and pay him, but you were on that story. You broke it. What else can you tell us about that trade? I very rarely share my opinion on it because I have to give the facts, but that was bonkers to me. Only because following the story, talking to both sides as much as I was, leading up into the draft, leading to the draft, or at least the week of the draft, everyone kept telling me, we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. When I was taking a look at all those receivers in that 2019 class that want to get paid, you know, or those receivers, obviously DK Metcalf, uh, Debo, and AJ. And if you had asked me my opinion of, okay, who's getting paid, who's moving on, AJ was like my, AJ's going back to Tennessee, he's going to get his money, end of story, no drama here. Just because they were so aggressive publicly. John Robinson stood up in front of the media and owners and was told us, yeah, we're going to get a deal done, we're not trading him. Mike Vrabel went up there and was like, I love the guy. Uh, as long as I'm the head coach, I'm not trading him away. I've never heard that man talk like that in my life about anybody that I remember hearing and go, man, he really loves this guy. Like it feels personal, right? Like it's not, it wasn't just a player they liked because he scores touchdowns and, and gives their offense an option outside the run game. It was like, they really believe this kid is a, is a leader. He's only 24 years old. He hasn't hit his prime years. It made all the sense in the world for them to homegrown, you know, made all sense in the world for them to make this deal work. And then it fell apart. And I started to get a couple, um, I guess, messages, because it was over text. That's how it started, that things weren't going well. And it, oh, you know where it started. I'll let you, the Jets tell me about, they go, tell me about AJ Brown. And I said, he's not on the trade block. Oh, yeah? And I was like, wait. So then I start scrambling. And I'm like, this, this was Monday. So draft's Thursday. So I'm like, oh, boy, this isn't good. Meaning something's going to go down because that's weird. They went from not picking up phone calls to now they're talking to New York. Who, remember, New York was in on Tyreek Hill. They were willing to, to give up a lot. So I was like, wow, maybe the Jets are good again. So, and then that faded. Then like, I was checking in with New York on Tuesday, Wednesday. Dies. I get a message on Thursday going down. And I knew it. And the source, I knew who they were associated with. So I was like, oh, here we go. And I figured it all out. And, and, and just making calls, working all morning on it. And it turned out that it was essentially during the week the Titans had made an offer. The offer was not good enough. They sent back a number that they wanted. They said, no way. They said, okay, well then trade us. And then that's when it, that's when Howie swooped in. And Howie Roseman from the Eagles, obviously in the receiver market for a while here, trying to look for a, for a stud. And it was just perfect timing. And he obviously was able to, 
to get the deal and get the contract. And, and Ryan, I was waiting all night at the draft. Um, not for the, I, the trade was agreed upon. It was agreed upon in the afternoon. So we knew the trade was happening, but it wasn't going to get the green light until AJ got his contract. And so I was told if the contract didn't get done, the deal was, the, the deal was over. And that the Tennessee Titans weren't going to trade AJ. They, they were going to, they were going to can it. And then they were able to get that. Uh, I think it was two, they were two picks out. I got the the message that said deal's done. So this is how fast this, this went and how close it was into the 18th pick where they traded out. Yeah. So you're saying basically if they hadn't gotten to the contract by then, they don't want to move the pick, obviously, because they're not going to let somebody else, right? Exactly. Or have them pick for them and then the contract not go through. All right. So let's, let's pick up a couple other offseason things here. Um, Baker. And Cleveland. <laughs> You're going to think I'm a lunatic and I live in a very weird world. But look where we're at right now, okay? Baker Mayfield is on, a, is on the Cleveland Brown roster. The Cleveland Browns do not want to take on that contract. They don't want to pay for that. They don't want, they don't, I don't know the number they're willing to go to, but the last I checked, which was about a week and a half ago-ish, I mean, they want nothing to do with that deal. If you want Baker Mayfield, you're going to pay that money. They're, Cleveland's not going to try to split it up with you. Okay, so the, the Panthers were flirting with it a little bit. They kept telling me before the draft, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I don't know where this report's coming from. I think a little something happened, but in the end, it didn't happen, right? Because they went quarterback in the draft. So we know they're out of it. The Seahawks have been telling me from day one, they have no interest in Baker Mayfield. They're riding Drew Locke, which we can talk about that another time. That's their choice. So here we are. Baker Mayfield has no hope. Zero. No team wants him. Is there a world where Deshaun Watson gets suspended and Baker Mayfield gets an opportunity to play again for the Cleveland Browns? I, I saw Tannenbaum's quote. He said that Baker had a better chance of playing for the Cavs than the Browns. But what you just laid out there, you know, part of it, we clearly realized Deshaun facing a suspension okay, you're going to prorate a $1 million salary as opposed to like a max quarterback contract, <laughs> which is what, what it ended up doing. And the fact that like he got every concession um, didn't make many people happy. But I, I, I don't think, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like what's Cleveland going to do with the other studs on this roster? And But I also know Baker's personality, I think, well enough that him being around as kind of the backup waiting to hand the baton to somebody else, I don't think any team would want to sign up for that arrangement. Maybe it's just all my personal life stuff that I'm applying to the situation because I've got <laughs> back together with so many exes, you know? Like, I'm, I'm the sucker for that. Like, I break up. Then I'm like, oh, I'll send a text. Then I get back together because I'm an idiot. Just don't break up. Anyways, or you broke up for a reason. That, that, that was always the lesson, right? You right. broke up for a reason and you usually forget. Uh, and that's where you're like, why? Like, I'm so stupid. Why did I change my mind on that? There was a, I did that. Or maybe uh, it's a pandemic. Yeah. That sometimes that happens. you don't have to worry about that. You were off the desperate, market by the time we had a world pandemic. That's so that cool. Yeah, we got engaged and married during it. That, that's also another fa a factor of COVID. You make bad decisions. We should have waited a little longer. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, he listens. Big fan of the show. Yeah, he I know. Says, I he actually listens to this podcast, so I I don't know that we'll keep it in there just for the the honest you know world that we live on on this podcast but just take it easy on kevin i have a wonderful husband who sent me off this morning to start my day at five this morning with a cup of coffee and he said 
big day for you. And I said, why? I'm just on Get Up the Sports Center. He's like, you're going on the number one sports podcast in the world. And that's your show, buddy. Okay. So the thing number with three. Baker, the thing with Baker uh, is, all right, we both know, like, that's, that's an ugly situation if Baker Mayfield's still in Cleveland in the fall, right? Like, that's just... We know it's ugly and it don't it doesn't work. Personality, I think, is a, is a, is even is a great answer. So then, what? How does he find a team? Is this a quarterback gets injured? Are they going to cut him? This is the number one overall pick, and and I, I just think it's I have a difficult time comprehending this because I don't believe he's a bust. I I've spoken to enough defensive coordinators over the years when they face the Browns that they share, they, they would share things about him where he was a threat. He, so I, I just, I wish I could give him a little bit of a social media makeover, you know, less emotions, less posts about how he feels. Cause I think that's what got him in trouble. I think that's where people turn on him. I think the victim card, I guess you could call it, or the way he can do that at times. I think it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Cause we see so many other quarterbacks that are, put in really bad positions as well because he's he hasn't been put in a, in a place to succeed really he's, he's had a lot of challenges but you don't hear about it and the problem is nobody wants to hear about it daniel jones they didn't pick up that fifth year what does that tell us other than the obvious but new regime not their guy one year prove it what do you got for us you know uh i do think brian dable the head coach of the new york giants will be able to get something out of Daniel Jones. I think we're going to see the best version of Daniel Jones, but look at it from the Giants perspective. It's the smartest thing that they can do because look, he goes out there and 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 they're fantastic. They win the division. All right, you franchise tag him or you give him an extension. What's the big deal? So it's, it's a one-year risk they're taking here. They have nothing to lose. Uh he goes out there, trips on himself again, throws another 49 interceptions, he stinks it up, they cut him and they move on from him. Yeah, that's it. And I, I don't think he's that guy. I just don't. I, I'm I'm sorry. And if look, if somebody can figure out a version of him that's playable, it's probably Dable. I mean, I've seen him have to work with so many different quarterbacks and and what he's accomplished over the years. I, they're, they're giving Jones a chance, but this is as old as it gets. I mean, yeah. if, if he's not your pick, then you're not. Like Whenever you pick somebody, it's, it's kind of like our industry. When somebody gets paid a ton of money in our industry, they get every chance to be like, oh, here's another landing spot. Or here's because the person that made the decision has to figure out a way to prove that they are right to invest in that person. And it's the exact same way with quarterbacks. So I always now, take that low salary, right? I always ask for as low as they go. So the expectations are just right to the ground. No one has no one has any hope in me. But yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. And, and you know, I cover the bills a lot and it's it's, it's quite it's a pleasure to cover that team, by the way, for a lot of reasons. But they just, they know what they are. They're, they have this innocence to them, too. Josh Allen does. Uh, you're, when you're around Josh Allen, just from, a, let, let's just talk physicality. He is so intimidating looking. Just, if you don't look at his face, because he's, he's always smiling. He's always so freaking happy. He is the biggest dude. Like, I, every time I'm next to him, I think the same thing. I'm like, he's, and I've co- obviously covered the, you know, every sport cover the NBA. Like I know what a big man is. I said, I, I mm-hmm. stood next to Derek Henry, AJ Brown. I stood next to guys that are, that are large. He is so big. That being said, 
the, his relationship with Brian Dable to me, what, what Josh used to share with me about what Brian was able to do. A little sidebar. Brian's a big FaceTime guy. Doesn't call people. Big FaceTimer. Chris Long, big FaceTime guy. Can't stand those types. No, Chris is an audio message guy. Hate that crap. Stop audio messaging me. Call me. Because then I got to like audio message back and it's creepy. I'm like, Chris, like. Do I keep it? And then he sees that I kept it. Yeah. But if I don't keep it. But I need to hear it again because sometimes like the phone rings or, or, or my baby's crying or something, you know, and I'm like, what did he say? And like, sometimes he does it in a way where it's like, he's like whispering. So like, then it's like kind of creepy. He's like, yeah, so this is how I look. The Eagles, they've got, it's, it's on Jalen now. It's on Jalen. Made the most, you know? And it's like, sounds like a sex hotline. But either way, I wish okay. he would stop audio messaging me and just pick up the phone and call. But Dayball doesn't call, doesn't text. Big FaceTimer. That's what the players tell me. So Josh Allen's like, you better be ready to FaceTime if, if you want to be successful with Dayball. So I, I think I'm going to pass that along to Daniel Jones if he doesn't know already. Okay. Um, what else? Let's Let's finish here. This is my favorite part of the draft is when you talk to the other teams about other drafts. Because you made a great point, too. Like, on the team that said, hey, we would have taken Malik Willis in the first round, I always love when I'll talk to a team about, hey, we would have done this at pick one or two. And you go, yeah, but you didn't actually have to deal with it. You didn't have to deal with the decision. So you didn't apply the stress of getting that right or wrong to you. So I do like when somebody like you, an insider, can kind of help us or share with us yeah. Which teams liked other teams' drafts, didn't like? So what do you have? A couple little nuggets. One, I had one GM tell me today, how funny was it uh, that teams kept trying to move in front of Ravens to take Alabama players? Uh, so like, that was like a joke in the league. Everyone was talking about that. Like they were doing it on purpose, just like piss off, uh, you know, DaCosta and, and Harbaugh, which I thought was just fun. By the way, um, it didn't, whatever it was, they, I think they had one of the best drafts of anybody in the league. Unbelievable. I, like, yeah. Oh, and, you know, Robert Mays was talking about this recently, and I could not have agreed with him more. Just the Ravens are always relevant because they've just had an incredible ability to adapt to whatever it is that that is other roster, right? Whatever type of coordinators they have. They've changed everything for Lamar Jackson. Think about how different that is on the contrast to what they were doing with Joe Flacco. Um and you got to give them so much credit because they adjust and they, they do maneuver that very well. So yeah, I agree. They the, the Ravens, look, the Giants, the Jets, God bless them. When you have that many picks, you better get it right. I, I don't mean to be so hard on them because we've seen enough teams mess up. I think they've had, I think they had strong drafts. I just hope they did. They had a lot of picks. Um, so they're like my obvious choices. I think the Chiefs had a sneaky good draft as well. Um, you know, Finding that, you know, finding receiver and, and all right, he's not Tyreek Hill, but they were able to fill that void. Uh, and the Green Bay Packers, you know, all right. I, I feel like I could talk about this forever with you. Just all right, did the debate. Does Aaron Rodgers have enough weapons? Their run game and their it's their defense that is going to make them so good this year. They have the they have to have one of the best secondaries in football right now. Um, so I don't really want to hear about the weapon thing with Aaron Rodgers anymore, uh, because it is going to be the run game and their defense is going to carry them in, in, in the weekend of six. Um, so I think the Packers did good. Um, Chiefs, Ravens, Jets, Giants. I think the Cardinals bombed. I, I, I don't really know what they're doing. I was very confused by it. Um, 
and the Patriots, I would put them in there. I'm a little... What did people around the league say about what the Pats did? Bill does what Bill wants to do. They do things just what they think works for them. And it seems to never really go hand in hand or agree with what the rest of the league is doing. And I can't figure out well, who's right because the Patriots have proved in the past, maybe not all the time through Bill's drafting, but most of the time they've had success. So who's right here? The rest of the league who's going, huh, not really sure I would have done that. Or do the Patriots see something, know something that we don't? Yeah, it was a confusing one and the age part of it all. But there was a report today, Mike Giardi, NFL Network, was saying there was a team that wanted to take Cole Strange in the 40s. So yeah, I know that's what Bill said. It's not like Bill was going to say, yeah, actually, we probably could have got him in the third. Yes. Um, but Bill's draft record is not good. It's not good. And nope. I don't, I, it's not really debatable at this point. And I thought it was very interesting when he was actually questioned about poor drafting. He was very defensive for Bill where he was like, well, we've had some good ones too. And you were like, okay, yeah, we, we didn't say you've gone over 20 years here. Um, but it felt like it turned a bit recently because there was, there was talk about how he had shifted some of the scouting and, and some of the responsibilities because he had had such a bad, there was about a seven or eight year stretch where it was really bad. Yeah. Um, so we don't know. We don't know at this point, but it definitely, I don't think you should just blindly be, I'm not saying you are, I don't think we should blindly be like, Hey, it's Belichick and he's never can do anything wrong because he actually has in the draft. No, no. Um, and I, I'd say the other team, by the way, that I walked away from the draft going, am I missing something? Meaning. They're all in for like this year. The Saints. I'm like, do all in. All in. They're, 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 they think they're going to the Super Bowl this year. And I love it. Like, God bless you, Dennis Allen. Because you have, you know, a future Hall of Fame head coach, I think, in Sean Payton, uh, you know, who's no longer there. And there's a lot of transition. That man ran the show in New Orleans. And there's been a lot of trend. And look, it may be one of those things, just like we've seen in, in, in life, the change could be good for them. Um, but what they're doing and how they attack this draft, I give them so much credit. They are trying to win. And, and I think it, I mean, it's just great. They must be looking at the Tampa Bay Bucks roster going, we can do it. We can keep up, which maybe they can. What do you got today? You're done with get up? Yeah, I got get up. I got, I just did get up. I'll just sports center. And then this just it. Oh, geez. I thought you had breaking news for us, but that's right. It's Kellerman's show. Uh, you can yes, follow. Yes, I know. I, 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 for a second, I was off. Um, I was just going to say another, I do TV and I've also been writing more this year. I have a, um, a blog that's called The Diary. You can find it. Um, if you just Google The Diary, Diana Rossini, it'll pop right up for you. But I basically just have been keeping a log of all the stories I'm working on and some stuff is is personal not that much but it's mostly fo- if you like football and you kind of want to know how this is all going and hear other stories of other trades and things going on i've been i've been trying to get into it so give me a follow there you go all right at diana espn thank you so much thanks for having me guys this episode is brought to you by la quinta by wyndham la quinta by wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip from free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV 
Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. We have a sponsor, folks. Today's Life Advice is presented by Modelo. It could be about love, money, or in-laws. Life is always going to throw some serious challenges your way, and that's why Modelo celebrates people who show resilience and courage in the face of adversity. Modelo, brewed for those with a fighting spirit. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. LifeAdviceRR at gmail.com is the email. Man, we had a ton of feedback on the last couple. Um, basketball hoop guy has not responded since we read his email. I don't believe, I don't know. It could have got lost in the mix. There's a very good chance of that as well. There were an overwhelming number of people saying buy a hoop for them. I think there's too many times in this podcast where I'll default to money solving the problem because it does solve the problem. A lot of times I don't want to make that assumption for our guy here. So I don't know that he has the means to say, hey, I'm going to buy you guys a basketball hoop. Also, if he's saying it's a bunch of kids from an apartment building, then you're dealing with HOAs, um, which is not the same, but it's apartment managers. They all fall under the same evil cartel where they're you know, putting a hoop up and just saying, hey, apartment building, here's this hoop I'm going to buy. Then they're going to say it's an insurance liability or all these. Different- I'm, I'm, I'm just suggesting it's a little bit more challenging than just this benevolent act of of a guy going here's a basketball to this community and, and and everybody so i you know i don't i don't know that it's that simple we had a lot of people chime in on that one okay uh this other one i think transitions well into something else i said last week the chipotle hot sauce thief thing The only people that have defended it also steal the bottle of hot sauce. (laughs) Think about that for a second. Right? Is that surprising? The (laughs) the only people that tried to tell us why it was okay said, yes, because I also do it. And I I would just counter with this. What if everyone thought they were entitled to stealing a bottle of hot sauce? Every single person that went in bought a burrito all right i'm not going to add anything else to it because i think it played in well to my completely incomplete debt forgiveness rant which which was completely flawed in my point but it wasn't really about that because i didn't want to talk about taxes after i you know again my history with publicly speaking about taxes hasn't gone well uh there's a lot of stuff there that I, I didn't get to. And, and I, I so, the reason I was so pissed about it last week is because it was one person deciding that this was inconvenient for her. And there's so many other parts of that that I, if I was going to dip my toe into that world of debt forgiveness and taxes and taking on loans and tuition and all of the stuff that I am, um, I don't know if passionate's the right word, but I'm interested in it enough that we had a guy on who wrote a book about it. 
uh, because I think it's a completely fucked up system. But I know that I did a I did a bad job with not doing the full, like if I'm going to do that rant, do the full scope. I didn't want to do the full scope because that was clearly targeted at the one person that was making it about her. And I felt like she's the kind of person that steals bottles of hot sauce at Chipotle also. And then thinks like, well, I, it's okay if I take a bottle of hot sauce, but if everybody did, yeah, I could see the problem with that, but that's not what happens. So it's okay if I do it, which I think too many people do with a lot of stuff that we talk about. What about peeing outside? Sometimes you have to. If everybody did, it'd be a mess. But what if you have to? Is it the same? Well, depends where it is. Yeah, not near a school or a park. I get it. But like, you know, <laughs> I did my first, I was on a, a golf course yesterday for the first time ever. And, you know, there's only like a, a bathroom every like five holes or something. So peeing outside of the golf course is pretty much understood that it's accepted. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I think you got to pick your spots. Nice. But, uh, I, I remember once during a hurricane, I think it was Hurricane Bob out in the vineyard. Rough. Went to go check on something down by the docks. And I don't know, I was like 15, had a piss. And I like went and found an area. And I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm kind of hiding out here. And cop came right up on me, hmm. screaming. And while the hurricane is like going on. Really? It's all getting washed away. What's going on? It was an aggressive move by the cop, but I don't think he saw that I was a kid at that point. And then my father saw it all go down and he wasn't thrilled. Um, but you were the cop. He was upset with the cop. Yeah, I was going to say. Because it was I, honestly the cop, once it kind of processed everything, it's like, hey, we're in the middle of a hurricane. We were checking on something that was being destroyed. I've got a teenage son that had to take a piss by a bush. Like there's no electricity on. Things are flooding. <laughs> the roads are closed. <laughs> you know, there's other shit going on here. So, but to also, if we were going to do this on the cop side of thing, like the cop is the guy walking the beat in the middle of a hurricane, checking on everything. He's fucking miserable because he's got like what an eight or 12 hour shift. I don't know what hurricane duty is. And then he thinks he's busting somebody peeing in a public area. You know, basically it all got worked out off season vineyard stuff. Super, <laughs> super dramatic. So not going to worry about it. All right. Uh, oh, an update. The frolic fraudster. There was a sighting. I know. Wait, I might have a different one than you. What do you have? Uh, a place called The Woods. Oh, yeah. He's, I, he's known to be there. This is unbelievable. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Bigfoot people are just taking pictures well, of him. Some guy tweeted me. He was like, hey, was this guy's name blank? And, you know, you want to go find it. By this point, you could pretty much find him. But I'm just still not going to say his name because that's the way we've been doing this. He was like, is this guy? I thought we said his name already. I don't think I did. I don't know. Dude, We'll, we'll, pretend I I don't, we'll pretend I didn't. Is this guy's name blank? And he, it was his name. And he was like, because I'm like, I'm at this like conference or something. And I'm hearing a story about this guy who was bragging about selling uh, Olympic tickets and def defrauding people for $3 million. I mean, I don't know if it's the same thing, <laughs> but it, it was this guy's name. And they and uh, I don't know, I guess uh, I guess the description matched. So he's been all around. The Woods is a strip mall off of La Brea but it's a strip mall bar. Yeah. I, I never wanted to go in there because it was a bar in a strip mall, but I've heard good things. Oh my gosh. The pictures of this place. Yeah. I want to go here now too. This looks amazing. It's a quick one too. It's like a five minute drive from the other one, from the frolic. I think we got to put together some sort of van rental. Yeah. You keep saying that. I hope you're, I hope you mean it. Oh, well, once the playoffs are over. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
let's get to the life advice part of this. Like, hey, do you guys do life advice anymore? Or you just recap shit. No, we do it. All right. Um, moving in with a girlfriend. Six foot, 150. I say wiry strong. Uh, they say string bean or gumby. People say <laughs> I play like KD during pickup hoops, though. So now I can lie to myself and say that's why I don't need to bulk up. You're Didn't six we have one, a guy compare himself to Jokic Six one playing like KD. Oh, my God. We had, a, we had a guy compare himself to Jokic a few week, like last week and a guy compare himself to KD this week. This is... Like lower your, <laughs> lower your comparisons, guys. <laughs> I mean, guys won't even say Bobby Portis. Yeah, I love Bobby Portis. That'd be a great comp. Yeah, but it's the, the I'm the, the Bobby Portis of the Y. <laughs> the number of guys that think they play like Jokic is unbelievable. It's like why? Because you don't run super fast. Because <laughs> you can't jump. Yeah, <laughs> you're a little overweight. <laughs> you don't have ar- Wait, you do or you don't have arguably the best vision we've ever seen. It's the best vision be the for mo- a big man. What would be the most ridiculous one? Like, I'm, I'm the Giannis of my why. <laughs> That's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I used to tell people I played like KG. And they were like, what are you talking about? You don't even dunk. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's just that I can whatever. Like, if I have to play center or point guard, I got it. High release point, you know? Yeah. No, it wasn't even about that. It was more about, like, just the tools out of the toolbox. Like, which ones do you need today? Like, oh, you need me to power forward? No problem. You need me to set screens and pop? No problem. Although, I, you know, after a while, if I didn't get any shots up and I was setting screens for younger guys, I would scream. Like, hey, I'm not here to fucking screen all day, guys. <laughs> Who is your comp currently? Ryan Rosillo, pick up <laughs> oh, basketball, no. Manhattan Beach. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Paul Reed. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> wish I, I wish I had that much energy. Um, That's I'm trying to think. Maybe Sam Gash. <laughs> fullback. <laughs> okay, back to our guy here. I'm 27. Back to our 6'1 KD. I'm 27 and been dating my girlfriend who's 25 for about a year and a half. She does well at work, makes more money than I do. She just bought a fairly nice house in, uh, I guess we'll say the city. He, We'll just say the city. I'm not going to get to the specific neighborhood, but it's a good part. In Chicago uh, that I will be moving into in July. Uh, he says parentheses after July, my queen. What does that mean? Like just his queen bed, his queen mattress? Uh, maybe know. he's saying it because she's like, the breadwinner is taking him in, so he's calling her my queen. I don't know. That's what I thought the first time I looked at this. I'm not sure. It's irrelevant. Should just keep moving on. Maybe he's a funny guy. That. Maybe he's hilarious. He says yeah. KD and my queen, and he's funny. <laughs> he's the funniest KD at six one we've ever met. All right, I do just fine on my own. Could easily continue renting or possibly buying a smaller place for myself. We're at the stage in our relationship we want to live together, and her house has plenty of room for the both of us. So the time seems right to move in. My lease is up. I will be paying her monthly with half going to things like taxes, HOA, um, and the other half towards her mortgage so I can build equity in the home with her. She says, ideally, we don't break up, and then it doesn't really matter what's hers is mine, vice versa. Let's read that sentence again. The other half towards her mortgage so I can build equity in the home with her. She says, ideally, we don't break up and that it really doesn't matter because what's hers is mine and vice versa. However, if we do break up and she says she would pay me back for the amount that I've invested towards the actual home during the time I've lived with her. This sounds like a pretty sweet setup to me. Almost too good to be true. Is there any chance this blows up in my face? Yes, there definitely is. Uh, And he says, (laughs) if so, how? All right. Um. He also said, I'm trying to make myself more useful around the place than the average tent by helping fix things and buying her some furniture. Not sure if that makes much of a difference, though. Okay, look, uh, this is not new. It happens all the time. Here's what I would say. Sounds like a pretty sweet deal, right? Um, this, You guys are in love with each other, though, and you're negotiating, all right? When you fucking hate each other, the negotiations don't go as smooth. 
All right. And so there's a lot of times when people are breaking up. It's like, well, you said this. Yeah, I did. I said that when I liked you. And now I don't. And now I don't want to say those things anymore. And I feel differently. So I wouldn't buy your own house because of the concern, <laughs> because people do break up. Happens all the time. Going to happen again. You just have to prepare yourself for what that could be. And maybe it is a clean break. We don't need emails from people sending in being like, I actually broke up and I got all my mortgage back, Ryan. You guys are it. No, we don't need that. <laughs> we don't need that. We, I'm aware that that option has happened. Good for you, guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually. <laughs> okay. Everybody just move in together and start just having verbal agreements on how the mortgage payback is going to work once you've found out that you're You've been making out with a cocktail waitress at the lodge for an entire summer. All right. The woods. Let, let me know how your mortgage reimbursement plan goes then. <laughs> because when people break up, they do really petty shit, especially when we're talking about possessions. All right. I know somebody that asked for a dog back after two years because they got mad that the other person that had dumped them had upgraded. And then the guy realized, I'm still so pissed about this. I want my dog back. And the person I knew was like, all right, fine. You like So you could put stuff in writing. You could do some of that stuff. Um, you could even do something weird, I guess, where you could have it be sort of a neutral account where you pay into that. But then it's like, okay, so what? what <laughs> it'd be really weird too because if that account grew as it should, you'd be like, I'm not really that into her. And if I cash out right now, I get like six grand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Like anybody with this, go for it, but just be prepared that it's not that, that right now it sounds like a great idea because you like each other so much. And when you're arguing over throw pillows and there's resentment because there will be resentment um, from one side in a breakup almost all the time, um, that's where a lot of these, these transactions or these financial planning deals, uh, that's where they go south. Yeah, I was going to say the smoothest thing for you, the the way that like you'll be happiest with the way you're treated, I think, in, in your relationship like now is the smoother you roll into this. If you're like, yeah, sounds good. That's great. Love you. We're not going to break up. Let's do this. It's fine. And I think but then, you you know, you do leave yourself open to, you know, whatever, if you really think you're going to get any sort of mortgage stuff back. So I think that the way that you be happiest in your relationship is probably by just going with the flow. And I think the more you ramp up trying to make some guarantees about, you know, some paperwork or whatever, um, maybe maybe the more strange the feeling it'll be between the two of you, at least at least when you're first putting it on the table and not to bring it back to Judge Judy. But when you got nothing in writing, she's like, goodbye, sir. Goodbye. So just, I mean, I know, I know you probably won't be going to, on Judge Judy if you're trying to recoup this thing, but I think most judges are going to be like, well, what do you have to show me? I'm like, well, she said, and he's like, okay, goodbye. So, I mean, it, it seems like you're not going to get any guarantees unless you, unless you maybe write something down. But if you do write something down, it might be a little weird for your relationship. So I don't know. I think maybe just deal with the thing. And how are all these 20 somethings buying houses? What the hell is that? She said, he's 20. He said, he's 27 and she's 25. She just bought a house. Give me a break. In Chicago? He said, that. He's, he said she does pretty well, but you're right. The part of town, like she had to be doing, maybe it was debt forgiveness. Who knows? Just oh, kidding. God. Um, do you guys have anything you've ever argued over possession, like possessional breakup? No. Up until this point, I've only lost clothes. I lost some CDs back in the day that I was really bummed about. Um, never got them back. 
I asked a couple times, but nothing like super major. Yeah, I loaned money for to get an iPhone fixed, and we broke up like a month later. She was like, "What are you talking <laughs> about?" It's like, "All right, well, this hurts. This hurts real bad." Because I need to get my iPhone fixed, but I would really like to. <laughs> so, whatever. Tough days. Same one who stole my jackets. Whatever. I mean, clothes. I, I, you, you should lose clothes. Like you're going to lose clothes if you break up in any relationship. That's just that's a given. I don't even think that guys are going to lose clothes. Not yeah, many well, guys okay. are like, yeah. oh, I snagged a sweet knit. <laughs> I love this, this glass. Crop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking sickest scarf ever. She's never going to She's going to be so pissed. Um, I've never, yeah, I've never met any, any guys that were like, man, when we broke up, it sucked, but. Unless you're dating I Harry sh- Styles, you know, everything's fair, yeah. fair game. <laughs> What's going on with Harry? I think he's got a new album coming out soon. Yeah. Pretty excited th- about was it. Was that what he was talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, we had a good one here. I think it was good. Maybe a C plus B. Oh yeah, here it is. Okay. Controversial major league, major league baseball pitcher. We would have figured that one out because it just said pro baseball player, but I, I didn't read it that way. All right. 5'10", 195, can bench maybe a hundred pounds. So I'm not the athletic 195, more of a loser 195. Oh, wow. But super self-confident. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm an operation manager of a well-known hotel brand we have an independent league baseball team in town um one of the players is the son of a well-known pitcher uh let me just say he's controversial pitcher around the steroid era so the player uh called and is coming to stay with us so once hearing it and knowing who he is i scheduled myself to work that day all day i did my due diligence and asked uh the son if his dad would be cool if he could sign a ball for me he said of course i was a huge fan of his uh growing up he pitched for my favorite team. I remember one performance when I was young that I watched with my dad. It was absolutely insane. Remembering memories like that with my dad, who's now not with us, got me even more excited the chance to meet him. The question is, how do I go upon asking for him, uh, asking him for a signed ball? I know he gets asked all the time, probably. Uh, knowing he's coming in, do I ask when he checks in or do I wait until he's eating breakfast or just walking by? He will be with us the whole week. Uh, I think the fan of me will go batshit crazy. I know it can be a very unprofessional thing to do when I'm checking him into the hotel, but growing up, knowing this guy is one of the greats, but I know I shit my pants when he comes in because he is a part of my early childhood baseball memories. I will remember forever until my kids one day. Follow-ups will happen after this. Um, after this encounter happens, you can say my name. I don't give a shit about that, uh, but I'll keep the player's name undisclosed. All right. Uh, I can figure out exactly who this player is. So I've met this player. It's not that hard to figure this one out. Um, and I would tell you he's actually very, very nice in these settings. So you have that working for you. Okay. I was with this player at an event and people were heckling the shit out of him. And he was one of the best I've ever seen at dealing with people heckling him. He's like, yeah, man, what's up? So again, if you've ever heard me tell that story where I'm leaving out the name this time because of the email, but again, this isn't this isn't super hard to figure out. Uh, I would not ask on check-in, all right? And you're admitting too, like the hotel would hate this, okay? I think I have one friend who had a buddy. No, no, this is how it worked. I have a friend, he's still a friend, a younger brother who was working for a major hotel chain and a huge band. I think Pink Floyd checked into the hotel and he immediately went to Facebook, was like, holy shit, Pink Floyd just checked into dot, dot, dot. Like, this is amazing. 
smooth. And at work was like, <laughs> hey, dude, in the future, can you not broadcast over Facebook when we have these kinds of people checking in to the hotel? Like part of it is that, you know, we'll just give it away, right? So I would not ask on check-in because then other coworkers are going to see you and then there's going to be one that doesn't. There's always one person that doesn't like you and maybe it's more. And they're probably going to sell you out. So don't do that. If the person is going to be there the entire week and you've already gone detective mode on this, there's a way for you to have some casual interaction with him. I would have the interaction at the check-in be great. I'd have one more follow-up interaction. Hey, if you need anything, whatever. And then from that point on, I would not have the baseball in my hand. I wouldn't be walking around work with a baseball the whole time. But I would say to him, even if you mentioned that you talked to the son, he's already heard your spiel a million times. He's numb to it. Going to sign the baseball for you, but just be a little cool on it from the work standpoint. And the cooler you are with him, the better he'll feel about the transaction. He's not going to want to sign a baseball when he checks in. Okay. Don't walk him up to his room unless you actually do that, which is probably, he's going to probably figure that out. I'd say on the second interaction, be like, hey, look, I know this happens to you all the time. My father and I watched you, whatever game, I probably can guess what the game is. It would mean everything to me, even if you want to go heartstrings there and be like, you know, my father's not with us anymore. And I did actually talk to your son about this. So I hope I'm not, you know, I know it sucks, but it would mean everything for me. And he's remember too, like guys that have been really successful. No one, I mean, granted, there's people that are just complete assholes their entire lives. But when you are very accomplished and somebody comes up to tell you how great you are, they usually don't hate that. Most people don't have a hard time with being told how awesome they are all the time. It can be repetitive and it can be annoying if done at the wrong time. But I haven't met too many people that are like, you know what I hate is when someone tells me how awesome I am. All right. So no check-in. Don't follow them around. Maybe a more you know, cool interaction there. If he's there, you're going to have multiple opportunities to pull this off. So just play it cool in the beginning and then come right with it where you disarm it being like, I know it sucks mean everything, blah, 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 sign it. Maybe, I don't know if you say that, hey, I talked to your son and he said it would be cool. I, that might actually be a mistake. I don't know. It depends on how well you know the son. So not much left on that. I was just going to add, can you, you know, obviously this guy's like a manager. Can you can you give him a basket of some sort? Can you hook Love him up it. with something? Like yeah. just just kind of smooth him a little bit. That, that'll probably go a long way too. But you're right. If this guy's nice, like you're saying, Ryan, it's probably not that big of a deal. A couple of monster energies and some Nabisco <laughs> peanut butter crackers. <laughs> Hey, they go a long way. Yeah, I just wouldn't linger. I'd get it out and be nice, and and that's that's it. That's just it, right? I mean, he's he's in his he's in his home base for the week is the only thing I would say. Like, right, your hotel's like your home base for a week. I would I would want him to feel like you know wouldn't want him to feel stared at the whole time. So yeah, I just wouldn't linger and just you know just put the effort into making it as as cool and laid back as you could be while still asking this man to sign something for you out of left field. No pun intended. Perfect. Today's life advice was presented by Modelo. Modelo knows it doesn't matter where you come from. It matters what you're made of. And when you need a little advice, it never hurts to have someone in your corner cheering you on. Modelo came from small beginnings and never gave up. That's what makes a lion. Modelo, brewed for those with a fighting spirit. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. As always, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll be back on Thursday with just more stuff. I think we got Van Lathan again. He's always great when he joins us. The Best Buy stories alone were Hall of Fame episode stuff. And he's got a new book out. 
So uh, that's what we'll do on Thursday. So enjoy the hoops. Talk to you then. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.